Today's scripture reading is from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 to 17. Uh, 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is God's good word. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. And uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. Hope you are all having a wonderful Sunday morning as we gather here together and worship once again. Uh, we're glad that you could join us. If you're new, especially, uh, for, if you're visiting and you haven't come in a while, we especially want to give you a warm welcome. And we ask that you stick around afterwards. We'd love to um, connect with you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And so please um, stay, and uh, we'd love to uh, connect with you in that way. And so um, usually uh, what we do um, in our sermon series, we go through a particular book or we go through a particular topic or series of uh, sermons that connect in some way. But this summer, uh, we're not doing that, uh, mainly because Pastor Jeff is on sabbatical, our English congregation pastor. And so uh, we will be having different messages through different passages, um, different books of the Bible in the Old and New Testament, and so it's going to just feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, we are here to um, preach the full counsel of God's Word, so we're still going to do that, and so um, we're thankful for, we're going to have some guest preachers, so we're thankful for them. They're going to come, and they're going to guest speak here for us as well. And so for today, though, we're going to look at these couple of verses, it's very short, that we read today, just looking at the grace of God. Um, and just focusing on what that truly means, the grace of God for us. And so uh, this letter in particular, the letter to the Thessalonians, the second one that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, he wrote it to the church in Thessalonica. It's a little hard to say, Thessalonica. It's uh, located in ancient Macedonia, which is basically modern-day Greece. Um, and so you can think about that region of the world is where uh, Paul is writing to. And at the time, the Christians uh, there in Thessalonica were enduring persecution like a lot of the early church was. A lot of the early church was enduring persecution. And so Paul's writing to encourage them, to encourage them about uh, keeping the faith as they endure as young Christians, as the early church. And unfortunately, what was happening was there was some false teaching happening there. And there were some people, uh, the main issue, the main false teaching was that people were claiming that Jesus had already returned, that Jesus had died, rose, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and he's come back already. And so um, people were claiming this, and Paul is trying to refute this. And Paul is explaining that, uh, that the Antichrist would appear before Jesus returns. And he goes on to explain um, that the spirit of the Antichrist has already begun the work here. So you can see the work of the Antichrist here. The work of the evil one, the devil, has already began to some degree, but it has not fully unleashed quite yet. So basically, the world is going to go into more and more chaos, more and more lawlessness, and that is when the end is going to come, and that is when Jesus will return. And so this is what Paul is kind of basically explaining to them, and that it'll be somewhat evident when that time will come. And so Paul is writing this letter as an encouragement to, uh, to these people to persevere, to trust in Christ. And Paul has 
confidence that they will stand firm in their faith. And he does so because he knows that they have received the grace of God. Which leads us to our passage where Paul is giving a benediction or a blessing. Uh, A lot of times benedictions are happening at the end of his letters, right? It's the final word of blessing to them. But he has it actually here in the end of chapter 2 and in the end of chapter 3 as well. And so these two verses are the ones we see in chapter 2. And uh, we see in these two verses that we read um, how it is all, all, everything that we do is done by the grace of God. It is God's grace that allows us to have faith and to live according to his will. So before we keep going, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to continue to reveal this truth of grace to us. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we pray for you to reveal your grace to us by showing us what this means to to live by your grace, to have faith by your grace, that it is all done by your grace. Lord, may we experience it here today so that we can know you and trust in you for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. So um, to start out, I just want to share a story. I was never into playing uh, video games much. I know a lot of you are. A lot of you are really into playing video games. Uh, But one game I used to love playing was the game Halo. Uh, It's an Xbox staple. It is um, probably the most popular game on Xbox, as far as I know. Um, And we would play with my, I would play with my friends um, sometimes all night. And it's actually one of the few times where I would stay up all night unintentionally at a friend's house, and I had forgotten to tell my parents that I was, you know, hanging out with my friends. And before I knew it, it was like literally like six in the morning, and my parents would call me like, where are you? Like, it's six in the morning. And uh, I was like, oh, I was with my friends, and and something. I wouldn't want to tell them that I was playing video games all night. It's probably not the best thing to be doing all night. But it was one of the games I really, really enjoyed, and luckily I didn't get in trouble most of the time. A lot of times I was playing with uh, church friends or people that they trusted, that they knew. So, you know, I didn't get in too much trouble for that. Um, but for a while, uh, it was just really, really fun to, fun to play. Play with my friends. We'd play all night, like I said, and play online at times too, right? But after a while, um, we just became very, very competitive, right? And maybe some of you feel this way too about some of the games you play, right? Whenever uh, you play, and especially if you lose, and especially if you lose to other players online, you get really competitive, you get really heated in the midst of the game. And I have to tell you, um, video games can bring out some of the crazy aggression and anger in some people. You know, people throwing controllers, you know, TVs have almost broken at times. And maybe some of you can relate, hopefully not. But after a while, it just wasn't fun anymore. You know, it was actually stressful. And it gave me anxiety because we were so wrapped up in trying to win. Especially if you're playing against people online, you're like, oh, I have to beat these people that I do not know. But for some reason, I need to beat them. And it's going to you know, de- uh, determine whether I am a man or whether I'm good at this or whether I deserve to be playing or whatever, right? And so um, that was a lot of the mindset that happened after a while. And, um, and that's probably why moderation is best, right, with everything we do. Um, but what I had realized was we lost sight of why we played, that we just enjoyed playing with each other, that it was just fun to spend time with my friends together. 
And after a while, it just became tedious, became all about strategy. It all became all about winning and competition, and it no longer became enjoyable, and it was actually stressful. So I actually quit because I was like, this is just too stressful to play with you guys. And we lost sight of the main reason of why we played in the first place. Um, and it reminded me of uh, what Stephen Covey says in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, I lost sight of what the main thing was, the really important thing. And he says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And enjoying the game with my friends, enjoying this time together, that was the main thing, but now it became winning, it became competition. That became the main thing. And so the main reason why we started playing was lost. We no longer were doing it for that reason. And so the same goes oftentimes with this idea of God's grace. We actually, actually lose sight of what it truly means. We lose sight of what it means to have received the grace of God. We talk about it as Christians. We talk about it very often as Christians, actually. But a lot of times we lose sight of this. And, and grace simply means undeserved gift or undeserved favor of God. And so this undeserved gift, this undeserved favor of God is the foundation of everything for us. This grace that was given to us in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for us, that he came down as the Son of God, that he lived among us a perfect life because he was the Son of God. And then he died on the cross and as a sacrifice for, the sin, for our sin and resurrected from the grave and ultimately defeated sin and death. The grace of God now fills our hearts because of this mighty work that Jesus has done. That is the main thing. And when we forget that grace is the main thing, then we lose sight of what we're doing, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We lose sight of why we're worshiping, right? of why we serve the church, of why we are a follower of Christ to begin with and how it is a defining factor of who we are, that it is what, what, is, it is what, what, what is most important to us as people. And when we lose sight of God's grace, that's when we begin to feel weary and we begin to feel tired and burnt out and we have less joy and we have less hope in our lives. And we forget this even as so-and-so, so, so-called mature believers. You know, we might have been believers for a long time. We, have been, we may have been born into the church with our family. And so we might feel that we are mature believers, mature Christians. But even mature believers lose sight of this. That they lose sight of uh, how it is all about the grace of God. And we sometimes fall into this trap of thinking that it is actually by our effort, my effort, by, by how deeply I believe in God, by my good works, that, sh- that, that, that God shows favor in these things. Right? That it is by my hard work that I can convince people to believe in Jesus. That it is by my com- compassion, my kindness towards them, my friendship that will change their heart. This is the, the false thinking that we go into when we lose sight of the grace of God, that it is all because of his grace, by his grace, through his grace, that we can do anything. And it leads to what I mentioned earlier. It leads to more burnout, more weariness, more feeling burdened. 
right? Because the, the harder and harder we try to do good things, to be more kind, to be more compassionate, right? And those are not bad. Of course, we should try to be more kind, more compassionate. But those things by themselves are nothing without the grace of God. They don't accomplish anything without God's grace at the foundation. So that's why in these verses, Paul brings up two main things, and that's, those are the two points of my message here today. That it is by God's grace that we have hope for eternity, and it is by God's grace that we can establish the good work and word. So those are my points. So the first one is that any eternity we have with God is based only on God's grace. Any eternity we have with God is based only on God's grace. And that is the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. The love of God and the grace of God is our only comfort and hope in life and death. This gift of Jesus where God sent his one and only son for us to die on our behalf for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. That is the only thing that can save us. And remember, this is undeserved. That's what grace means. This is an undeserved gift of God. We can never earn this gift. We can never do anything to deserve it. And we say something like this all the time as Christians, but a lot of times we forget this. We don't truly believe this. And let me give an example. So Brian Chappell, he's a pastor and author, who, he explained that we oftentimes view Christianity like Muslims. Right? Muslims actually believe in grace. Right? If you actually look into what they believe, they believe in a sort of grace. But they believe that you have to work your way up to a certain point and that God will fill in the rest with his mercy and grace. So you have to work your way to a threshold and then God can fill in the rest. And I think so often this is the way we view our faith in Jesus, actually. Right? We think that we have to be good enough to some degree. Right? Then Jesus will, by his grace, fill in the rest for us. But if we do that, we forget the, centra the centrality of the grace of God, that we can never be good enough. That's the point of the gospel. We were never good enough. Our best effort are like filthy rags, as it says in Isaiah 64. It can never save us. We can never meet a threshold. It would never be enough. Only by God's grace can we be saved. And it covers, over the, it covers us completely. It covers over everything completely. We don't have to be good enough. We can't be good enough. But God's grace is good enough. Jesus' work is perfect and is the only way to eternity, only way to salvation. I know that many of us do not like to think that the future of our lives rests in someone else's hands. And this is essentially what we believe when we believe in grace, right? I know most of us have been influenced by the world to think that we are in control, right? We are in control of our lives. We are in control of our destiny. And if we want something, we can make it happen, right? You just have to work hard enough. And maybe even for some of you, you feel like that has worked for you, right? Maybe you have gotten to where you are and you have become successful Maybe you've gotten the career that you've wanted, and maybe you're getting the grades that you wanted too. But what about for eternity? 
right? Maybe you get what you want now, but what about for eternity? Francis Chan, another pastor, uh, does this illustration where he has a long rope, this super, super long rope, and he covers a tiny sliver of it with tape. And that tiny sliver of tape represents our life compared to all of eternity. And so his point is always, are we going to live for this tiny sliver? It's a little bit of tape. That's what our life represents. Are we going to live for that? Or are we going to live for eternity? What matters more? Our lives are short, extremely short, compared to eternity. And some of us are so focused on our career, our work, but what, our work will last 30 years if we're lucky, 40 years? What then? Some of us are so focused on retirement, right? We, we need to make sure we have enough for retirement. Those, what, 10, 15 good years maybe, if we're lucky? What then? I hope you can see the futility, the futility of living for this life this really short life that we have. Even if we get to live 70, 80, 90 years, maybe even 100 years, some of our um, uh, congregation members live to 100. Praise the Lord. But even then, it's a tiny speck compared to eternity. And you may have even been able to get whatever you wanted in this life. You may have earned your way to success. But what about eternity? That's not up to us. Eternity does not rest in our hands. So the question for us then is, have we trusted in Jesus who gives us life, eternal life? Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do we believe in Jesus Christ as the one who saved us by his grace through our faith in him? That this gift, that this is a gift of God, not the result of our works, but we have no reason to be proud, no reason to boast. Do we believe that, that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone? My hope is that if you do not, that you would believe, hopefully today, hopefully in the near future. And for those of us who do believe, that we would remember that any expectation we have of eternity with God is solely based on his grace. So the second point for us is that all of our growth as Christians is based only on God's grace. That means in order to live a life uh, as a mature follower of Jesus who, who lives according to the commands of God, we need God's grace. Our everyday lives need to be filled with the grace of God. And that's why Paul here in 2 Thessalonians says we have to establish, it establishes every good work or every good work and good word. It is all by his grace. It's so easy for us to pat ourselves on the back for the sacrifices we made, for the ways that we've prayed, right? the ways we've read the Bible diligently, the ways we may have even avoided temptation. But when we truly understand God's grace, 
we realize that all of this is only possible because Christ has enabled us to do it by his grace. Right, we just read in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, and if you actually keep reading in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it is by grace that we are saved through faith, which is a gift of God, and not a result of our works, which ultimately leads us to do good works in the name of Jesus. So it is only by grace that we can do good works. It is only in Christ we can do good works, meaning that even the transformation that may have occurred in our lives, right, maybe our hearts have changed, and our hearts should have changed if we believe in Jesus. Our hearts should be inclined more towards God and what he commands. All of that is only done through the grace of God by his spirit. That spiritual maturity is all a result of God giving us the grace, the ability to do it, not through our own effort. And even the successes that you've had in this world, the worldly things that God has given you, is all a result of the grace of God to you. Your ability to earn a living only by grace. Your God-given, perhaps physical or athletic abilities, only by the grace of God. Your knowledge, your education, only by the grace of God. Any blessings that we have ever received, give God the glory for it because he has given it to us by his grace. So his grace was not only for when we first came to believe in him, it is something that sustains us that helps us to continue on to live according to his word. And we need it every day. We need it every single day. Every day that we can continue on as followers of Christ, it is the grace of God that allows us to do so. If it wasn't for his grace, we would all be apostates. We would all turn away from God. We would never follow him. We would never truly trust in him. I shared this story uh, last week with uh, some of our youth, uh, but I wanted to share here. One of the things that has given me the greatest joy in my life is when I have seen people come to genuine faith. Right? When you see someone come to believe in Jesus and they get baptized eventually, right? it's one of the greatest joys to ever witness that. I'm sure some of you have, and if you have, you, you can probably attest that it is a great joy to witness genuine faith and trust in Christ. And so that's why partially I, I love working with youth, because a lot of them come to know the gospel and understand Jesus at that age as teenagers. But one of the more memorable experiences for me was back when I was in college when one of my friends, without any church background, he never grew up in church, never knew really who Jesus was, he came to believe in Jesus. And thinking back on that experience, I see how it was, how it could have been only by the grace of God that he could ever come to believe. Right? He happened to join us by providence to play some basketball. It's literally how we met him. Right? He happened to agree for whatever reason to join us for small group. Right? And then eventually for worship. He happened to keep coming and become close friends with us. And he eventually came to believe. It reminds me that our disciple-making our mission of going out and living out our faith as witnesses, it is all accomplished by the grace of God. 
The Spirit of God is what changes hearts to trust in Him. Right? Nothing that we really could do. We, we offer invitation, we share the truth, we share kindness and compassion. But ultimately, the rest is up to the Lord. The hard work is up to the Lord. We do the small part that God has given us, but ultimately God moves in people's hearts through his spirit, through his grace, and he changes their hearts to come to believe and know who he is. So it's not up to us to save people. It's not up to you to save people. Being disciple makers and living out our faith by engaging with those who do not believe, that is not something we, do, we need to do, to, we need to be afraid to do anymore. Right? We're not, we don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to listen to us or we're doing well enough. It's actually whether or not we just do it. It's whether or not we just actually do it because that's all we are called to do. And ultimately, salvation is only done through the grace of God, the Spirit working in their hearts. So God has given us this amazing gift of Jesus Christ, this amazing grace that we just sang about that saved sinners like you and me. And we are saved by his grace. And we live by his grace. So our call as Christians is to have a grace-filled faith and a grace-filled life. And how comforting is that to know that it is not dependent on us not dependent on our effort. God has saved us in spite of our sins. And God will do his work in this world in spite of our sins. And may we not forget the main thing, which is that being a Christian is all about receiving the grace of God. So what it is that, that we can do, what can we do? And I asked you earlier already, first thing is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Have you received this gift, this undeserved gift? And you might say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've received it. But have you really received it? The first time I really understood the grace of God was actually in college, and I professed faith way before that. And I was so sad that it took me so long I had grown up in church and had become, a, had become had been a Christian most of my life, and I understood the, the, the gospel that Jesus died for my sins, and I am only saved by the work of the cross. But I did not really, really understand that in so many ways that I tried to earn favor before God. I thought I had to be good enough before God. I thought that my efforts would mean that I would actually be rewarded by God. That if I serve or if I am a good kid, that God won't let bad things happen to me. God will bless me in some way if I act well. But then I finally understood what grace actually means. That my efforts could never be good enough. It's never based on whether I'm a good kid, whether I serve enough, whether I'm kind enough, whether I'm loving enough. And I look back and I was even boasting in my own righteousness where I thought I was good enough. I was putting in enough effort. But I know that if I ever failed or if I ever fell into temptation and sinned against God, that I would just feel utter despair. 
without grace, that's how it is. If we're not good enough, we just fall into utter despair because, oh, we, put, we bring pity upon ourselves. We're not good enough. Oh, God, how I have shamed you. I've brought shame upon your name. That's what happens when we don't believe in the grace of God. Without grace, that's how it is, and we are either so proud of ourselves and cannot see the ways in which we need God or we are in utter despair because we think we are not good enough for God. Grace makes it so that no, it is no longer about us and what we are trying to do, but it is about what God has already done through Jesus Christ for us. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, live in this grace. It is this grace that will help you persevere in this life and live according to God's commands, to not fall away, to persevere, to live for him, to glorify him, to make him known, to be the church. So may we, as the church, receive this grace-filled faith and life. May the Lord help us to receive his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is by his grace, by your grace, that we are saved. Lord, help us to truly, truly believe in this, God. Lord, it's one thing to believe in the gospel, to believe in what Jesus has done for us. But Lord, we know that it is life-changing when we truly believe in what Jesus has done that it transforms how we live, how we act, because we are covered by the grace of God. God, help us to see this. Help us to see that it is not by our own efforts, by our own work, that we can earn any favor, Lord. It can, it can only, we can only be saved by what you have done for us in Jesus. And we can only live the life that you call us to live through the work of Jesus in our hearts, through the Spirit working in us each and every day. So God, help us to see this. May Cornerstone be a church that lives out this grace, that, that lives in this grace, that trusts in you because of your grace. Help us, O oh Lord, to see this here today. Lord, may we give praise to you, glorify you for all that you've done, for your grace for us. We thank you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.